that our older adults did. It's uh, pretty impressive. And just kind of as a way of stats, just in case you didn't know, um, and this includes our homebound people and some folks who don't, aren't able to attend beyond that. But this is kind of how our demographics break down here at the church. We have 27 uh, people who are 80 plus. That includes our, and most of them are actually active. Most of them aren't on the homebound list. And then we, between 60 and 79, yes, at 60 you begin to fall into that category. That's just kind of the way it's broken down. I know, sorry. But at 60 to 79, we have 81. We have 81 people, and some of those are, are not here actively. And then from 40 to 59, we have 59 people. And then 25 to 39, we have 39. So basically, they kind of equal out the 60 to 79 group. And then 18 to 24, we have 19 people. And 17 and under, we have 81. So they also basically equal out the second and the third group. So just kind of interesting numbers to see how many older adults. We, we do skewer younger than the average age of the United Methodist Church, which is dying somewhere in their 60s. Um, but we have a lot of older adults who are active in so many ways and continue to pour into the life's blood of this church, and we are grateful for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and center ourselves this morning. We'll get a chance to clap for them later on. Gracious God, center our thoughts on not just our older adults this morning, but what it means to grow older. What does it mean to age? How are we supposed to be? As we age in you, guide us, teach us from the psalm about all the things you would have us to be as we grow older. Speak to us, no matter what age we might be today, to understand your plan for us. In Jesus Christ's name, we seek this wisdom and we seek your presence. And the people of God said together, Amen. Before we get started, I have two uh, uh, older people in my life. My parents are both uh, 72. My mom will turn 73 on Monday. And some of you already know, but some of you don't know. My mom has been in the hospital this past week with what they, uh, with a droopy left side of the face, which of course signals a lot of times stroke. And they weren't sure what was going on for a little while because there wasn't any other kind of symptoms. But we did learn that she had a major stroke. And in her major stroke, though, because there are no other symptoms, she's lost no mobility, she has nothing else, she can speak clearly everything, they're completely confused because there's a massive spot on her brain that's had a stroke, but there's no debilitating effects physically. So that is amazing, and my dad, when he talk, told me and gave me that part of the news, said he, you know, he based that upon nutritional health because my, my dad's a holistic kind of health person, I'm taking vitamins my entire life, and prayer. Those two things, he believes, are the two things that kept her away from that. Now she's having some mental things and some, you know, remembering stuff kind of stuff going on. But the neurologist was like, this is not the same woman who had this. Who had this. So she was released from the hospital the next day, sent home, no rehab, nothing else. And uh, so that's just a picture of my parents when they were younger, when they got married, and my, parent, my picture now. You haven't seen my dad in a while either. He looks pretty good. He doesn't think so, but you've, last time you've seen him, he didn't look so good, and that's what it looks like now. So, um, and uh, so, older adults are important in my life, and I'm sure that they they are yours too. You're welcome to follow along with the app that's in uh, U version. 
to stay up with the notes on this particular sermon. On October 29, 1998, the space shuttle Discovery launched with a seven-member crew. One of them, John Glenn, was 77 years old. Anybody 77 years old in here or wants a minute? You? In a minute, you're going to be 77? Okay, one minute. The six. All right, so Louise is in space. Here you go. Louise in space. Ed, you're turn 77 too? Okay, that's it. So, look, so think about this. That's awesome. And there's somebody else back there too. Don, you are too? That is awesome. This is great. This is perfect. Now look. So John Glenn had been in space before. What? Somebody else? Who else? Vern, you're 77 too? Oh my goodness. This is a great sermon. I love this. John Glenn had been in space before. In fact, in 1962, he became the first American to orbit, orbit the Earth. I actually, when I went to the Houston Rocket Center, I actually sat in the Friendship 7. It's a really small deal. <laughs> Even at my age, trying to get in and out of it was really hard. To put it in perspective, the last time John Glenn blasted in the sky in a spacecraft, TV was black and white, and John F. Kennedy was alive. A few days before the flight, John Glenn scolded a hundred reporters gathered at the launch pad for the crew's practice countdown. They were focusing too much on his age, he said, rather than the mission's scientific merits. Why the fuss about Glenn's age? As the Time magazine piece began, this is no country for old men. That sentiment seems to reflect the attitude of our culture. Hit age 65 and it's time to retire, to collect Social Security, to sit in your lazy boy and to step aside. This is an issue we have to face in the church as well. What roles do people play as they grow older? Should they simply step aside Let a younger generation take over, like I hear sometimes, even for my older adults. I've done my part. It's time for the the younger people to take over. There is something which everybody wants, and yet almost everybody fears. Do you know what it is? Growing old. We all want to grow old. We want to have long lives, but we also fear growing old. Old age has many frightening aspects. An aging body, which is more susceptible to illness. Declining strength. Feelings of uselessness, especially after retirement. The loss of friends and loved ones through death. The reality of one's own death drawing nearer. Loneliness. Maybe feelings of alienation from one's children and grandchildren who are busy with other interests and pursuits and no longer have time to spend. And very often financial concerns due to dwindling income. Sadly, our American culture does not honor the elderly. We are a self-centered, capitalistic, utilitarian society. If you can't do something and produce something, you're no longer of any benefit. In our society, the younger generation often views the elderly as a financial burden, and if they require our care as an interference in the pursuit of their pleasure and success. 
This was most outrageously stated by then Colorado Governor Richard Lamb in discussion of spiraling health care costs. He said that terminally ill elderly people have a duty to die and get out of the way. Most be more polite. But the underlying attitudes are there. If you're old, you're no longer useful. If you're over the hill, then we are over you in our society. It's interesting, by the way, that in China, as well as most Asian and Hispanic cultures, old age is still viewed as the most respected stage of life. I'd also add African countries into that, too. For instance, in Shanghai, one of the five largest cities in the world, in the late 1970s, there was only one home for the aged. Most of the elderly there are cared for in the family context. Before you feel guilty, understand that our system and our culture is not set up to do that. Our families are single homes, not villas or compounds. Our jobs don't allow us to do all those things that we'd like to do. Many of us can't take in our elderly parents. I won't be able to take mine in. It's just the way that our culture is set up. Unfortunately, we can't change those pieces of that. But as you and I face the prospect of growing old, we need to ask ourselves, what should I be doing now, however old I am, to prepare for old age? Because the fact is, you will be later, whatever you are becoming now. What I mean by that is that if you're not becoming a person of faith now, you're not likely to become a person of faith then. If you are a negative, grumpy person now, you will not be a positive, cheerful person then. If you aren't developing a walk with God now, you won't have one then. Old age doesn't necessarily make you any wiser than when you were young. Amen? It's true. And you might be asking why I'm preaching. Well, I ask the same question. There are surely older adults who can bring a better message from their perspective. And believe me, I asked. I would have liked to have the day off yesterday and watch my Michigan game, which uh, they won, unlike, I'm sorry, for some other teams in, in the room. One man did say about that, did say that it was a good year to start having alcohol at Neyland Stadium. It really isn't. Incidents of anger will in, in a Destruction will increase with alcohol in the stadium when all those fans are mad because their team lost. But Carolyn told me after I asked twice, I probably know better than anyone the breadth and depth of what the older adults do across the entire congregation more than anybody else because I'm the connecting point among all the groups, among all the people at both services and beyond. And it's probably true, but looking at the insert today, just like you, I looked at it and went, they do this? They do this? I didn't know about that one. There were plenty of things that I saw that I didn't even know about. And as I was thinking about what scripture to focus on today, because this is a really important day. It's not a day that older adults get very often. It's not a day that very often we talk about what it means to age and to become older. There were several in the bulletin to choose from, but I chose Psalm 
71. See, Psalm 71 is the psalm of an old man with many trials and problems. Maybe Jeremiah, we don't know. But he is obviously a joyful man who's able to put his focus on the Lord in the midst of all of his trials. The psalm shows us, to put it simply, that God's way to grow old is to develop a walk with God now. God's way to grow old is to develop a walk with God now. The reason the psalmist could handle his problems so well as an old man was that he had developed a walk with God in the years leading up to the time in his life. He had a proven reserve in the Lord which enabled him to be strong inside even when his body was becoming weaker He had a mind of dependence like we talked about last week that he was dependent upon God in all things. And there are three aspects of his walk with God which the writer's walk had developed over the years which helped him at the time of trial in his old age which can also help us now and in the future. And these are the three things we need to develop. First aspect we need to develop is a deep knowledge of God. Say that with me. Develop a deeper knowledge of God. You see, this psalm is permeated with a deep personal understanding, a practical knowledge of the Lord God. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 71, the man knew God as his refuge. In verse 7, he knew God as the strong refuge. Verse 2, and his righteous Savior. Verse 3, he calls God his rock and fortress. Verse 5, his hope and confidence. In verse 17, he has been taught of God even from his youth. God's righteousness, frequently mentioned here, refers to God's faithfulness to God's own people and keeping God's promises. He knew that. Verse 16, he talks of God's mighty deeds. Verse 18, of God's strength and power. Verse 19, and the great things that God has done. And in verse 20, he realized it was God who brought him into trouble and God who delivered and restored him. And in verse 21, that God was the source of his comfort in his trial. And in verse 23, that God had redeemed his soul. This man knew his God. It's obvious he had known God for years and that God had proven God's faithfulness in a number of previous difficult situations. So in this instance, when he needs to trust in God, it's not a matter of God, if you exist, whoever you are, if you're out there, I need your help. He didn't need to take a blind leap of faith because he knew his God in a personal way practical, proven way. 
He knew his God. Do you know God like that? Are you questioning that God can actually help you? Are you growing and developing this kind of knowledge through God's Word? Gathering together with each other in those small three to four groups that are many of them are going on now and the larger ten to twelve groups and some other kind of small group besides Sunday school class, besides Bible study? where you're actually getting down and through that experience applying the word to your experience of life and and asking that question, how is this making me a better disciple? How am I growing closer to God? It was exactly a year ago that we started discipleship, do you remember? Disciples who make disciples. We talked about the bands the three to four people or maybe five who get together, same, same gender, and they meet every week for an intensive period of time to really dig in deeper. And several of those bands were started and they continue. We talked about the D groups, the disciple groups that are, that are more like 10 to 12 people that are more than all the disciples. Remember, Jesus poured 85% of his time into three people plus the 10 to 12. That's it. And those groups are meeting and they're continuing. And after a year, we've seen a, a lot of growing going on, a lot of things that are happening and changing. And, and just recently, even Mike and Vicki Morris started an older adult, one of these groups, uh, 10 to 12 people, older adults are coming together. And some of those are in this room. And You see, one of the most important things that we each of us can do to prepare for whatever crisis we have to face in the world is to spend time now in God's Word. To get ourselves geared into knowing where it is to go before those times happen to us so it isn't like an emergency instruction manual and you're having to try to figure out what's happening while the flames are going on around you and while the place is burning down. Now what step do I do now? It's like on the airplane when you ignore all the things they tell you to do in case something happens and then when it happens everybody begins to panic because no one bothered to listen to what was going on until that moment. It's even, and we think about older adults, it's even that thing where, see, 55% of us don't have a will. I'm still included in that. I just can't pull the trigger. Hardly any of us have advanced directives or a living will for what happens to us if we're suddenly taken to the hospital and emergency things have to happen to us. Hardly any of us have those under a certain age. Believe me, the older adults realize that real quick. When we're sitting there at my dad's bedside in December and we think he's going to die and we call him the lawyer on the phone to get down the things that have to be gotten down before he might die in the next hour. Changes your perspective a lot, but obviously... It still didn't change my perspective. Because we don't believe when we're younger that something's going to happen to us. And it's the same with the Word. And as you read God's Word, ask yourself, what does this passage teach me about God? How is God helping me to grow in the future? And as I grow older, that I might grow wiser. That I might grow deeper and not just grow in age. See? And then seek to apply it to your daily problems. And maybe you have a fire extinguisher somewhere in your house. Raise your hand. 
That's pretty low. Um, that's about half, I guess. The rest of you may get a fire extinguisher in your house. Um, if you don't have one in your car, that's a good place to have one, too. How many of you have one in your car? Thank you, James. Very good. Thank you. Gail and James have ones. Now, Charlie, of course, has one. Of course you do, Charlie. Now, in your fire extinguisher, you're well-versed on it. You know exactly what to do. You've used it so much, and you, have, you know exactly how to pull it, right? You do know. But if you had one, it'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> right? Not to use it, don't have one. That's good. That's, that's a perfect example. So, so you go for that, you know, that kitchen fire all of a sudden you have, and, you know, your fire, your, 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 your flambe is now everywhere, and so I think it's causing big problems. And you go to pull that fire extinguisher out, the one you know so well, and you go to pull it out and you look at it like, what do I do now with it? Right? It's not going to help you much in a fire. You can't just bang your plate, your thing with it. <laughs> I think that's funny, aren't you? I mean, really, think about it. This is a tool, like I have one in my car, and I looked at it the other day because it's back behind one of the things, and I pulled it, pulled it out and looked at it, and there's the fire extinguisher, and I'm like going, if this really happened, remember when I forgot it was even there, so in the middle of the fire, my car would be burning up, and I probably could save it, but the fire thing was in the back, and I have no idea that it was even there. It's the same with God's Word. You can't wait for the fire to have the tools that you need to be able to grow. See? It doesn't work that way. It's not an emergency manual to pick up and figure out when your life is falling apart. It's preparation before you ever get to that place. Amen? And the second aspect is we need to develop the godly habits of trust, praise, and hope. And they go a lot along with, with the gratitude and obedience and dependence you see a habit is developed by frequent repetition over a period of time that's how we develop a habit over 30 days or whatever time period and once in place a habit almost becomes involuntary our attitudes how we respond mentally and emotionally to life's problems those are habits they tend to become habitual responses we respond the same way to the same thing all the time so if we don't develop good habits, then we're in trouble. Some folks become habitual worriers. Some folks become habitual complainers. Some folks become habitually negative and pessimistic and angry. And other folks become habitually cheerful and positive. The habits we develop in our younger years will tend to take us down the same direction as we get older. You see... There's a little Hebrew word repeated in verses 3, 6, and 14 that's translated continually or always that tips us off to the habits the psalmist had developed. These are not habits you pick up naturally. It's easy to pick up bad habits. It's a lot harder to pick up good habits. Think about your eating. Think about your weight. Think about what you do. You're worrying, all those. It's easy to do the bad habits. It's a lot harder to pick up the good ones. They must be deliberately cultivated. And in fact, they stem from the psalmist's knowledge of God. They are the habits of trust and praise and hope. The first one is the habit of trust. It's seen in verse 3. The whole psalm is an affirmation of the psalmist's trust in the Lord. He was struggling because he was in difficult circumstances with many seeking his life. 
but he was unwavering in his faith because he knew whom he believed. This faith in him stems from a knowledge of God. And then true knowledge dispels that doubt and fear. Instead, we are more inclined to trust that which we know well. Assuming it's trustworthy. If you don't trust God, if you don't trust what the Word says, then it's because you don't spend enough time in it. You don't live in it. You're just picking it up and reading it like it's some kind of a textbook. Because trust comes beyond the words. It comes in the Spirit's presence when you're reading those words. Reading the Bible throughout a year and being able to read the whole thing and all you do is read it and check it off your list will not get you the knowledge that you seek. Read between the lines. Listen for God between the words. Chew on the muscles and the sinews and the other parts beyond just the bones of what's going on. Take five years to read through the Bible. You'll get a lot more out of it if you actually spend time being in the mid of that. Verse uh, 20 says, because the psalmist knew God, he had learned to trust God through some other tough times, and he knew, therefore, that God would see him through this time, too. Are you developing a habit of trusting God in the difficult times of your life? Because that's the best time to really begin to soak it in deep. When things are going well, it's not where you're going to look for God, because you don't really care. Things are going well. You don't really need God. It's just kind of a side thing. I like to do it on the side. I like it. It's great. But when things are going bad, all of a sudden you're like, I am reaching for everything and anything to try to keep myself from falling off the edge of the cliff. And I will do anything it takes to be able to take care of that. And that means I turn to God much more during times of trial. We're all like that. It's just natural. There are no atheists in foxholes in war. So are you developing a habit of trusting God in difficult times in your life? Or are you frequently filled with worry and doubt and fear because those do not come from God? Worry, doubt, and fear do not come from God. There is no place in those. We mentioned it last week in Dependence. We've talked about it all the last three weeks, one way or another, through being, having gratitude and obedience. That worry and fear, anxiety, those don't come from God. Jesus himself says that. Pretty darn clear. Who of you can gain another hour, a single minute, another day by worrying about anything? Tomorrow will have enough troubles. Today has enough of its own. Tomorrow will still be there. If you have trouble trusting and concentrate on getting to know God, to find that gratitude, that obedience, that dependence. Second, the habit of praise. The habit of praise. Verse 6, praise is not a natural habit, at least not for me, maybe not for you. But God wants us to be people of praise. Even when difficult times come, God wants us to learn to praise Him. Amen? That the psalmist had deliberately developed that habit. How can we learn to praise God when trials come? The answer is learning to trust Him. They go hand in hand. When you trust and you can praise... And Wednesday night, right during the middle of my Bible study, I got a text from my dad saying, call, update on mom. That's all it says. And we stopped class, and I said, we're talking about dependence. 
And I said, no matter what I do right now with this call will not change what has just happened. So I didn't grab the phone and call right then. We were talking in the midst of our lesson. When I got done, that's when I would make the call. Because nothing would change what would happen. If she had died right then, then she would still be dead. And God is still good. And if she has a miraculous healing, then I'd hear that word too. And then God is still good. God is not good because of the circumstances. God is good all the time. Amen? And all the time, God is good. That's the learning to trust. You have to trust in that. And out of that becomes praise. Praise in the midst of all circumstances. Because just as trust stems from knowing God, so praise stems from trusting God. And then third, the habit of hope. Make sure you're awake. Say habit of hope with me. Got you still. Awesome. The habit of hope. Verse 14. The psalmist had not only developed habits of trust and praise, but also of hope. And we need to understand there's a big difference between secular hope and biblical hope. Both forms of hope concern the ideas of future expectations, but secular hope is uncertain because its object is uncertain. But biblical hope is certain because we know exactly what the certainty of it is. It's grounded in God, not in good things happening the way we want them to. And then the third aspect is we need to develop a lifestyle of ministry for God. Say that with me. Develop a lifestyle of ministry with God. Although the psalmist was old, 71.9 is the key verse. Don't cast me off in old age. Don't abandon me when my strength is used up like the world does. He, he could have kicked back and said, I deserve some rest. I have worked hard my whole life. He didn't. He still had a concern for ministry, for testifying to others of God's faithfulness and power. In verse 18, as long as he had breath, he wanted to keep telling people about God's greatness and God's glory. Amen? That's what he wanted. That's what we need. You see, there's a worldly attitude that has infiltrated the church. It goes like this. I work all week So my weekends are my free time to spend as I please. If we give God a couple of hours by going to church on Sunday, maybe Sunday school, we feel like we've paid our dues. That's all it really means to serve God. We don't want to be tied down with any kind of Christian service that would hinder us from taking off for the weekend when we feel like it. Believe me, I feel that. I don't get to go anywhere on the weekends unless I'm on vacation. I can't just pull up and go to Knoxville. I can't just pull up and go to the mountains. I can't do any of those things. Believe me, I remember when I first had that switch over from just being a person who's involved in a church to being a pastor, and all of a sudden your weekends were gone. And when your wife works, unlike in the days of when the pastor's wife didn't work, And they could just go away during the week. My wife could not go away during the week. And her schedule sometimes is more limiting than mine. Believe me, I get it. 
I get it when on Sunday, Saturday morning when it's Feed the Need Saturday and I just want to sleep in and I want to know how to do anything and know i got a sermon to continue to write and to finish up when I get home and I'm dead tired. Believe me, the last thing sometimes is I want to go to Feed the Need. But then when I go there and I go and do it, then all of a sudden it takes all that away. All the time that I just lost, I actually gained with God. And it was more worthwhile than the time I probably would have spent doing whatever. But we get this idea that it's our weekend, it's our time. I don't have to come on Sunday morning. I worked hard all week. And, you know, I watched football yesterday. I'm so tired. I don't want to get up and do anything because I watched the game till late last night. I don't want to get up. Then at least watch it online. For God's sake, there's enough options nowadays where at least if you're not going to show up in person, at least be present with us in the online community. There really isn't much excuse beyond that unless you're sick to death and I don't want to see you then. Man, I know there are times in life when we are busier with family and jobs and other times, believe me, I feel that pressure all the time of trying to find some kind of balance between all of those things. But if all you're doing is coming to church to take in, if your focus is what can I get out of church rather than how can I serve the Lord through His church, then your priorities are out of whack. That's a hard teaching. But as Christians, it's true. Remember, it's not an adjective. An adjective is sitting here. A verb is actually doing what it is that Jesus told us and taught us to do. Amen? That there should be no such thing as a non-serving person in the body of Christ. Everyone has some ability to serve in some way, whether small or large or in between. But that's one of the most noticeable things I see when I look at our older adults. They serve faithfully even when their physical limitations sometimes don't allow what they want to do. I don't have to be concerned that the older adults are the ones who aren't participating in something or or actively working in some project or in some way within the church or in ministry as you can see the thousands of things that they do here. They exemplify, I think, my favorite part of these scriptures, Psalm 92, 14. And I like this translation the best. It says, in old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap. They're always green and full of sap. I just love that. That's better than some other S words, I'm sure. But sap, sassy. Oh, it's actually another good sassy. Sassy. I mean, really. Some of the older adults can work me under the table any day of the week. I'm worn out and tired. I just want to get down there like they're still doing something. I'm like, go home. You're making me tired looking at you. Man, within regard to old age, I think we need to, to challenge the American idea of retirement. We tend to go to the cultural view that retirement is a time in life when you can do whatever it is that you want to do. But as Christians, we never earn the right to do what we want to do with our time. There is nothing like that. All of life must be lived under the Lordship of Christ. Amen? And where the, in the Bible do we find the magic number 65? 
I'm going to retire at 65, and now it's 70, and now it's 75, or whatever else, or 55 because you want to do that, or whatever. Where do you find that magic number that it says in the Bible anything about retirement? Nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention anything about retirement from God, retirement from serving Christ. Writer Angus Buchanan said that there's no retirement found in the Bible, only promotion. Only promotion. When you retire, you get promoted. You get promoted to serve Jesus all the ways you've always wanted to serve Jesus. I remember my friend Ed here retired before I ever got here. When Ed retired from that, he became full-time taking care of this place for how many years? A decade at least, probably. He didn't retire and say, I'm just going to go back. He went and he, he fixed everything here. He was the one who knew all the air units. He was the one that basically was a facilities manager, unpaid, all the time, doing all those things for all those years. When I first got here, he told me that I was so glad when I could retire because I could serve God full time. There is no retirement as a Christian. God used old people all the time. Abraham and Sarah were past 90 when Isaac was born. Moses and Aaron were both past 80 when called to lead Israel from Egypt. Joshua and Caleb led the conquest of Canaan and served till past 100 years of age. Daniel was past 80 when he served as governor in Babylon and was cast into the lion's den. Simeon and Anna were waiting for God to reveal the Messiah. Both were past 80 when Jesus was presented to them as the first acknowledgement of the blessing and of the covenant. If you're freed up from your job at 65 and you're healthy, why not view it as an opportunity to serve God in so many ways that you possibly can while your health still prevails? The point is the psalmist didn't want to be delivered from his problems so he could play golf and go fishing every day. He wanted to be delivered so that he would proclaim God's power to the next generation. To be freed from that. He had a vision to hand off the baton to the younger generation. He saw a, young, a longer life as an opportunity for extended ministry. Bonus years of being able to serve God faithfully and fully. You see, many of our older adults that are listed in all these things, they serve God full time. Full time. You just don't see them. We make cracks and jokes and things about older people, and yet they are some of the most faithful people here across the board, serving in so many capacities. There are many things we could say about them. We admire their tenacity, their work ethic, what they've made of their lives. All these good things have come to pass because they refuse to quit in life. They and others like them built this country. They are the builder generation, and even the boomers now. They are raising their families. They worked hard. They paid their debts. Best of all, they've given themselves in service to the Lord and their God. They have been faithful, and God can and will continue to use them in the future. So you see, God's way for us to grow old is for us to develop a walk with God now, a walk that involves a deep, personal, experiential knowledge of God, a walk that includes the habits of trust and praise and hope and a walk that involves a lifestyle of ministry for God.
Every week I see it. Tom and Patsy rolling trash cans around and Vern and Ed. Now we've got, got, got Roger doing that now too. From the people who come and work at the desk and for many years it was all older adults. To talking to Al in the hallway and just showing that my door doesn't close anymore because the whole side of the building you know, is going down. So my door just wouldn't stay closed anymore. You know what Al did? Came in the next day and fixed it. Didn't ask him to do that. I wasn't talking to him about it for that. The food pantry is all run by older adults. I could go on and on and on of all the people that I see all the time coming through an older adult ministry during the week when you're at work, when your life is busy. So as long as we have life and breath, we can show and tell and sing of the greatness of our God to the next generation. To close, Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is found on the path of righteousness. We may become old and gray, but we will not be forsaken. or young and gray. And we will still have a lot more to do and say. And so I want all of us who are not older adults to stand up, find an older adult, and say thank you this morning to them. Go over and reach over there and pretend like you know how, what, you know what some of the ages already are. But just stand up and give them a round of applause for all that they do. All of you who are younger, stand up. Stand up. Consider yourself younger. You're under the age of 60. You're younger. You're under the age of 60. You are younger. And now, throughout the course of the day, I want you, whenever you see somebody, to say thank you for all that they do. You have a seat now. Today's communion is brought to you by an older adult. In second service, they'll actually pull out the old trays and the cups and, and all that. And everybody goes, oh, I miss doing all that. It takes about 20 minutes to do it, as big as we are in this service. It's convenience. No matter how we take it, it is the remembrance. Remembrance that was carried down. Because you remember, when Jesus did all this, it could have just died with him and even the first round of disciples. Paul was older when he died. John was the oldest disciple. And in his old age, he was the one they all revered. They all looked up to him. Love each other, little children, he would say. When he was infirm and they carried him on a chair into the middle of the group of the Christians. And they would look at him with awe. That he had sat with Jesus. And when he was with Jesus... He was the youngest. His body was broken for all of us. There is no age on that. We don't need a church that serves young families. Oh, we need always need to have young families in our church. People always say that. They're not the life's blood of the church. Every age is. Every age and stage is who Jesus calls to be in ministry and who he died for. 
We continue to pass on from generation to generation what this means. That means when I get old, then I will pass it on to somebody who is younger than me. When you get old, you will hopefully pass it on to someone who is younger than you and everywhere in between because the only way that it passes on, the only way that those hymns that we sang, the only way that we take what that is we call old and make it new again is because we pass on the old. For a while in this service, and we'll continue to do it, I have long been concerned that our youth and our kids no longer know how to use a hymnal. They no longer know what it means to look up a page and to be able to see the words and the music because we don't do that. They no longer know, sometimes they'll begin to forget what it means to do the Lord's Prayer because we don't say it every week. There are lots of things that you've moved aside from in contemporary worship over all the time that every church has done. Some places don't even serve communion anymore. It's off to the side somewhere. Or they serve it only on special occasions. Many don't serve it every week like we do in this service. All of these things are traditions that have to be brought forward in life. They have to be brought forward by us. Otherwise, the next generations will forget, will always forget. Alex is not happy. And something's afoot, apparently. One day even Alex will be old. It's a, way, it's a circle of life, my friend, isn't it? Is it right? That's why he's crying because he'll be old. <laughs> so as we come to the table this morning, I just want you to think about in your heart all the people along your journey, older folks in your life, older is whatever you want to make it. It's usually about 20 years older than whatever you are. Just remember them in these moments parents, grandparents, people in the church, whatever it might be, just take some time to soak in and lift a word of thanks to God for these folks in your life. Let us pray over these elements this morning as we gather together. Gracious God, pour into us and to this bread and this juice. Make them be for us the reminder of your great love and sacrifice for each one of us. Whether we're children or young adults or mid-age or older adults, it does not matter. You have worth for all of us, and you have work for all of us. So engage us, enable us. There is no retirement from you. Pour into our lives for whatever it is the next thing you'd have us to serve and do for you is. We're thankful and grateful for your love. Now bless this juice and this bread. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the people of God said together, Amen. For those coming forward to serve, come forward.
strong. You may go to your stations. Let us go and receive from these our older servants of the Lord our God. May we seek out where we can serve God the most. Take my lips and let them be filled. 
those 77 year old people out there today that we made mention of and all those around that age if you look around there are so many older adults involved in our life and involved in ministry I hope you'll take time to be able to say thank you to be able to think about all the ways that as you grow old that you know exactly what God wants from you because there is no retirement not in God's kingdom And there is always ministry to be done for every age and every stage. May you go forth from this place with the words of Psalm 71.9 ringing in your head. Don't forget me when I'm old and gray. I'm not used up yet. I still have plenty to do and plenty to say. Amen. Thanks be to God. You're dismissed.